Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 4. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Seeking Truth for our study of Luke chapter 4. Now, last time we were talking about John the Baptist, and we realized that he's really the new Elijah. Jesus said it himself, and he was the forerunner to the Messiah. And John knew his role. He knew that he had to decrease. His ministry is done so Jesus can increase. And he really knew that well. And uh, the artwork shows him always pointing to Jesus Christ. That was his job. That's why he was created, to point others to Jesus Christ. So where he's pointing, he's always pointing to Jesus, always pointing to Jesus, even in the chalice. He knows Jesus in the chalice, Jesus will be the Son of God made flesh. So we saw last week this perfect, perfect theophany, and that hardly ever happens in Scripture, and it's when the Trinity all appears in one scene. And so they all line up there at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. And this is something we hadn't seen since the garden. We got banished from this. Man and woman used to live in the heart of the Trinity. God the Father, the Creator, God the Son, the Tree of Life was there, and God the Holy Spirit, the River of Life. And then they got banished. This is the first time in the New Testament where we see the Trinity again. We, we hear the voice of the Father, the bodily form of the dove, only Luke tells us that, and the bodily form of Jesus Christ. So now there's hope again for humanity. There's hope of this new covenant, this theophany. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all there in one scene. And it's really, really exciting. So if you look at the Eastern Orthodox icons, you'll see Jesus in this watery tomb. The rock is split. He's in this cave. He's standing on the doors of death. There's snakes coming from under him. There's gods of the world. He's going to descend to Hades. He's going to set the captives free like he tells us today in Isaiah. And we heard that even the axe was laid to the root of the tree last week. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and what? Thrown into the fire. John pulls no punches. He tells us the truth. He wants us to know judgment is coming. And there's a remedy, repentance. If we repent, prepare our hearts, the Holy Spirit will flood in. And when Jesus does his perfect work on the cross, we'll all be redeemed. So Jesus here in this baptism scene is standing. There's the Hades. There's the underworld. There's Sheol. And this icon of John the Baptist will depict that water as a a liquidy tomb from this dark cavern. And beneath it's... Hades, Sheol. Cyril of Jerusalem says this, Jesus descent into this watery tomb, into this inferno that envelops him from every side is an anticipation of his act of descending into the underworld. When he went down into the waters and bound the strong man. That'll be Satan. That's coming up in Luke 11. St. John Chrysostom, the golden tongue, says this, going down into the water and emerging again are the image of the descent into hell and the resurrection. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again. So that all is predicted 
right there in that <laughs> baptismal moment. The Byzantine liturgy has another symbolic connection, saying this, that the Jordan River was turned back by Elisha's coat, and the waters were divided, leaving a dry path. This is a true image of baptism by which we pass through life. Now, that's a connection I had never really thought about, and we'll talk about Elisha in just a minute. But we all, no one is getting out of here alive. We all have to go through death to get to new life. And that's what baptism is. You take that little baby and hold it under the water. The baby has to enter into death to rise out of the water and get to new life. So everything's a symbol and a sign. Where was Jesus Christ baptized? The Jordan River. It's told about in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have a baptism account of some kind. Some are more detailed than others. In Matthew, it says Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But the one I love the most is John's account at 128, especially in the King James Version, where it says these things were done at Bethabara. It gives us a town name, Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And in the Hebrew, that is Beat-Abara. And this is the actual baptismal site of Jesus Christ, Bethany beyond the Jordan. And so if you look at a map, here's Jerusalem, there's the Jordan River, but it's the other side of the Jordan where is Beat-Abara, beyond the Jordan. Bethany beyond the Jordan is where Jesus was baptized. And we know, as in real estate, location, location, location is everything, right? Okay, so this area, the Dead Sea Depression, this is the lowest point on the face of the earth. The absolute lowest point. So Jesus in his humanity is going to join us in baptism at the absolute lowest spot on the face of the earth. And you can even go have a drink there. And I did. <laughs> it's the lowest bar in the world in this area, the Dead Sea Depression. A little higher up is Beatabara at 375 meters below sea level. And this is where Jesus was baptized. Now, we needed a military escort to get into this area. And I was hoping we wouldn't get it because when the guy said we need a military, I said, why do we need a military? Because oh, there's a lot of landmines. And I, I said, oh, we don't have to go there, you know, it's okay. And we got the military escort. So everyone was all excited. And we went into this area with all this barbed wire and all these signs in three languages, danger, mines, danger, mines no photography and Steve was snapping all these shots uh, but you know it's somewhere special because look what's built there this is out in the middle of nowhere it's the wilderness there's only sand but right now they're working to clear these landmines out of the way so people can go to the actual spot where this happened the barbed wire the landmines because look at these monasteries that are there out in the middle of nowhere they're abandoned now but why would anyone carry all these rocks and buildings out to the middle of absolute nowhere in the middle of a desert because this is the place located Location, location, location. You see these ancient basilicas, they're beautiful. They were built here because this is the place. And so on one side of the Jordan or the other side of the Jordan, they're crossed straight from each other. This is the real place, the Jordan River at Beatabara. It's completed now. I've been there again. There's another spot that claims to be, it, it is the Jordan River, but it's not the spot. And busloads of people come here and buy their white robe and jump in and, and, and they do baptisms there. And this isn't the real spot. The real spot, the authentic baptismal site is beyond the Jordan on the other side, on the Jordan side, not the Israel side. And the last three Catholic popes to visit went to that location. John Paul, he went there in the year 2000 for the millennium. Pope Benedict XVI was there in 209 on the Jordan side, as was Pope Francis in May of 214 on the Jordan side at Beatabara. 
John records this place as where John the Baptist carried out his baptisms, including the baptism of Jesus Christ. And it says again in John 10 that he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John at first baptized and there Jesus remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there at Bethabara beyond the Jordan. And so when uh, Francis came here, you go down the stairs, there's the Jordan River water. He prayed there, bent down, got some of the water, blessed himself in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so you can see right across the river, you can go to either side, but the more accurate is on the Jordan side, but it's right there at that spot where Jesus was baptized. Now, what's really important is what else happened here in scripture. This is so cool. This is the exact spot where the ark came through. The ark of the covenant, when they were coming into the promised land, finally, it's right there at Beth Abara. It's called the house of the crossing. That's what Beth Abara means. And they crossed over on dry shod when the Jordan River at flood stage parted ways. And so that's really cool that that happened right there. And also, that's where Elijah went up in a whirlwind of fire, right there at that same exact spot. Now, who's Elijah? Well, he's the greatest, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And his chariot goes up right there. He throws his mantle down, his mantle of glory. And and who does he throw it to? Elisha. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? Jesus has already said that John the Baptist is the new Elijah. He said, this is Elijah for him who has ears to hear. And Jesus himself is going to be the new Elisha. And this, right where this happened, is the exact same spot. So we have a lot of typology going on here. Elisha means God is my salvation. Yeshua, a derivative of for Jesus, Yeshua means Lord who is salvation. This is a a direct correlation here. Jesus will be the new Elisha. John the Baptist is the new Elijah. Elisha, I'll say. Elisha and Elijah. Now, let me tell you about these guys. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah departed from there and found Elisha who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen behind him. He was with the 12th. Elisha's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he was with the 12th. Do you know how hard it is for one man to manage 12 oxen by himself? Uh, Most people can handle two or four, but for one man to have 12 big ox, this is Elisha with 12 ox. This is supernatural strength, power beyond human, and he's controlling 12 oxen. What does that remind you of the number 12? In the scriptures, governance, right? Very good, governance. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. We have the 12 apostles in the New Testament. He's starting an apostolic church, a number of governance. And here's this Elisha guy, this new guy that can control 12 all all by himself. Now, Elijah passed by him. Elijah, the greatest prophet of all times, passed by him and cast his mantle onto Elisha. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll follow you. Now, that word mantle in the Hebrew, aderet, is glory, a cloak of glory, glorious, splendid, marvelous, mighty. So we know Elijah was full of the Holy Spirit. He passes by, puts his cloak on Elisha, this new guy, and Elijah says, go back again for what I have done to you. <laughs> what have I done to you? And Elisha returns and says, he, he, he follows him. He took the yoke of oxen. He slew all those 12 oxen. He boiled their flesh and, and the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate it. 
He's done farming. <laughs> He's got a call of the Holy Spirit. Elijah has brushed by him with his mantle and he's felt the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and God is calling him to something more than oxen. So he stews them all. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered to him. Elisha is going to minister to Elijah. Who is this Elisha guy? We don't even know who he is. We know who Elijah is, but we don't hear much about Elisha. And then some of the sons of prophets who were in Bethel came to Elisha and they said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take you from your master and he will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Hold your peace. Something's happening. It's a change of the guard. Elijah said to him, tarry here, I pray for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on together. Then 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And they both were standing by the Jordan and Elisha, Elijah took his mantle. He rolled it up and he struck the water and the water opened and parted from one side to the other. The Jordan River parted and the two of them could go over on dry shod. Now, that's just what happened when the ark came across that same exact part of the Jordan River. The ark, the priests would put their toe in the water and the it opened and they went through on dry shod with all the Israelites after them. What does it remind you of when the waters part? Moses had also taken his staff and touched the water of the Red Sea and it parted ways, passing from certain death, they're being chased by Pharaoh, into new life in the promised land. This is baptism. This is what baptism is. Elijah struck the water though, but Elisha doesn't die. What happens to Elisha? When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. So Elijah was so full of the spirit, Elisha wants double that. That's 100% more Holy Spirit than Elijah had. If, if this guy gets it, he's going to be an amazing prophet of God. And he said, you have asked a very hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Okay, and as they were still talking, behold, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two men. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, right there. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. He was gone, <laughs> up into glory. And Elisha succeeded Elijah. He took hold of his own clothes. He rent them into two pieces. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood right there on the bank of the Jordan River. He took that mantle of Elijah that had fallen. He struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water once again parted from one side to the other. And Elisha went over on dry shod. So the mantle has been passed to this new prophet, Elisha, who has double the Holy Spirit, double the mantle of glory upon him, the glory of the Holy Spirit that was in Elijah. He's got a double portion. So Elijah, the old Elijah and the new Elijah, John the Baptist, the old Elisha, who had a double portion of the Holy Spirit and the new Elisha, Jesus Christ, who was full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lands on him in bodily form at the baptism at that same spot in the Jordan River. It's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing connection. Elisha, God is my salvation. Yeshua, God is my salvation. A new Elisha, a new Elijah, the mantle of glory covering Jesus Christ as he stands there in the perfect theophany. 
dove in bodily form. Luke wants us to see it. Not just a double portion of the Holy Spirit does Jesus Christ have, but he has been, it's an episkieo again, he has been overshadowed by the clouds ripping open and the dove coming down and resting on him as he stands in the river of life. It's just a total beautiful theophany. It's a physical and a spiritual mantle of God's glory, the Holy Spirit in the form, the bodily form of a dove only in Luke. So the mantle of the Holy Spirit, the power, the splendor, the majesty. It's the breath of God. God breathes into Adam the spirit of life. The breath of God, God's voice, the ruha, the blowing of the Holy Spirit, fully entering Jesus Christ in his humanity as he stands there in bodily form as a man. He's being fully empowered for the divine mission that God has for him. He's age 30, the time priests come into their priesthood. We know Luke made him number 77, Jesus Christ, in his ancestry. Perfect forgiveness, forgive 70 times 70. And right before him, he said, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Jesus, for Luke, is a new Adam, the firstborn man of a new creation. Jesus will be a new Moses. And we see that a lot in Matthew's gospel. Jesus will be a new Joshua, Yeshua, taking the people into the promised land of heaven, making a way back to the Father from what we lost. Jesus will be the new Elisha, a double portion, of uh, infinity portion of the Holy Spirit in his divinity. He is the new Elijah. And let's just take a look at the new Adam, the firstborn son of a recreation, a redeemed humanity. Luke is going to take us all the way back. Seven times seven. Number 77 is Yeshua, Jesus, and right before that, the son of Adam. If you remember, when God made Adam and formed him from the dust of the ground and he breathed, the Ruha of God, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God breathed a soul into Adam. God has breathed down in this perfect theophany on the bodily human form of Jesus. He's spoken, this is my beloved son. It's just beautiful. Redemption now, because the Trinity is back together again, redemption is going to be possible for human beings. The baptism is huge. This huge inauguration of his mission from the Father. The Trinity is all present once again for humanity to see in bodily form. What we had been banished of, we get to start seeing again. So the voice, the bodily form of Jesus, the bodily form of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us have that same mantle of glory on us. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you've been confirmed, you've had the mantle, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit upon you by one who has authority, the bishop, the bishop in the line, the direct authority from Jesus Christ. And even more than that, You've had Jesus, you've become a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have Jesus within your own body dwelling there through he's feeding us his own food, uh, his own body. So this is where heaven and earth can intersect, right here at Mass. This is the table of the Lord, through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father. This is what happens when we're fed this Jesus. And through all the sacraments, there only can be operated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through him, with him, in him. You want more Holy Spirit in your life, frequent the sacraments, all of them. Jesus said, the risen Jesus walks through those locked doors and says to only 11 men there, Judas wasn't there that night, but to this new priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, he's breathed on them. 
the Ruach, the Holy Spirit again, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sin of any, they are retained. So the living, breathing Jesus Christ breathes the Holy Spirit on them and gives them this power in this new priesthood to forgive or to retain sin. Okay, so the breath of God, the Holy Spirit is very alive. Now, don't laugh at this, but then this came to me like for us, the Holy Spirit is our spiritual oxygen. Today, now, you're baptized, you're confirmed. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He is your spiritual oxygen, okay? And he flows from the source, so he's flowing. We say in the creed every Sunday, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the source. He's proceeding from the Father and the Son in the perfect unity of their love. So I'm asking you, are you getting enough oxygen? Do you have enough spiritual Holy Spirit in your life? He's like oxygen. He's what we breathe. And they always tell you on the airplane, secure your own oxygen before you help others around you. So we have to develop our life, our prayer life, our life with the Holy Spirit. We have to develop our own spiritual life before we can help others. No one can do it for you. You got to do this for yourself. I can't give you my Holy Spirit. You can't give me your Holy Spirit. That's between you and the Lord. Or do you have enough Holy Spirit? Because he's there. Sometimes he needs to be stirred up a little bit. And you have to pray like, Lord, ignite me. Holy Spirit, be stirred up in me. He wants it for everyone. The church exists to evangelize. So we need the Holy Spirit. You can't help others until you yourself are filled. And that's holiness. So, So that's a universal call that we all try to develop that Holy Spirit life within us. So we have oil in our lamp so we can burn brightly. Are you spiritually short of breath? You know? Have you not prayed for, for a stirring up for a long time? Are you not using that oxygen that's available to you? Are you spiritually out of breath? Is there nothing left? You spent it all. Do you need assistance to breathe more deeply of the Holy Spirit? Because the assistance I could offer you tonight, which you're doing already, is that the scriptures are God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. And the scripture you hold in your hand is the breath and the power of God, the mantle of his glory through his word. So you're taking advantage of that. And the sacraments, when you frequent the sacraments, you're just asking for more and more of the Holy Spirit. Reconciliation is so powerful. So God is breathed down. It's a perfect theophany. And what does he say? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son, and he's in his full humanity there because he's two natures. He's fully human, and he's fully God. So in the transfiguration, we see his full divinity. In the baptism, we see his full humanity. In the transfiguration, we see him glorified, glorified. Listen to him, hear him, obey him. This is my beloved son. So the new Elijah, the new Elisha, the old Elijah, the old Elisha. Now, this new Adam full of the Holy Spirit, is going to be tempted. He's going to be sent out to the desert, full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan, and he's led by what? (sighs) The Ruha of God, the Holy Spirit, that has just settled on him in bodily form. There's a famous quote from Oscar Wilde. I can resist anything except temptation. This is what James says in the Bible. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured 
and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death, spiritual death. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death as it did to Adam. He didn't drop over dead, but it was a spiritual death. And what did he do? The woman, the woman who you gave here to be with me, well, she made me eat from the fruit of the tree. Immediately, there's rationalization. It's her fault. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. It wasn't her fault. He did it. 1 John 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. And the world passes away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a kind of first fruits, a recreation, a new beginning, a new behold, I make all things new again. So the 77 ancestors that Luke has, Jesus is number 77. He's perfection of forgiveness for us, sons of Adam, new sons of Adam and Eve. So that temptation, the son of Adam, the son of God, this new Adam is going to be sent out into the desert, led by the spirit to face his own temptation, the new Adam. And how will he do? He's been full of the Holy Spirit and he returns from the Jordan and he was led by the spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days. You Bible students should know numbers are important. And what is 40? Temptation. Uh, it's a judgment. We see it a lot in the Bible. It's four times 10. Universality, uh, north, south, east, west, the four ordinal directions times 10 of fullness. It's a total judgment. It's a time of purification, perhaps. We know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Noah was told to build this, and he did. Jesus is being sent out for 40 days, 40 nights, and he's going to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So notice how Satan waits till he's at his weakest. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, but really, spiritually, that's his strongest, right? If you fast or something, you know that there's a spiritual strength that comes with that. So he's really not at his weakest. The devil said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And he's so hungry, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. If, isn't it interesting that he starts with if? Does he not know who he is? Is he trying to figure out, are you the one? Are you the one I've been waiting for? No, it couldn't be him. He's not born of a virgin. I've seen his mom and dad. They're a normal family. Can't be this guy. He must be a false prophet. But boy, he's doing powerful miracles. Hmm. If, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes there from Deuteronomy. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and for their glory. And it has been delivered to me and I can give it to whom I will. And if you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, how did 
he get to be king of the world, prince of the world. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapter four, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.